The key to dealing with situations you can't predict, ironically, is to have a good set of plans for the things you can predict. Uh, it's impossible to foresee every potential business disruption. There are always things that'll come at you from out of left field you won't have foreseen. Uh, but it's not impossible to have plans for a very wide variety of classes of disruptions, weather, data, civil unrest, things like that. Having a wide variety of plans means that when you do encounter something unexpected, you'll probably have a plan similar enough to quickly modify it to suit the current situation. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Larry Pomakowski. Larry is the Director of Business Continuity and Fleet at SAC Wireless. Larry, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm very well, Peter. I hope you are. Oh, doing great over here. Um, it's really great to have you. I think we've got some fantastic things to discuss around preparing for unseen events. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit more about what SAC Wireless does, your role there, and a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, SAC has been around for almost 25 years. We started off with site acquisition and zoning, and we grew over the years into construction, architecture, engineering, project management. We basically can do cell tower and network construction from start to finish, one of the few companies in the country that, that can do that. We were purchased by Nokia a few years ago, and we're used, used as their primary deployment arm in uh, the U.S. because of our reputation in the field. Uh, we work with all the major carriers. We build private networks for various customers from sports arenas to utility companies and anyone in need of those kind of builds. Uh, my background is I came from the military and then law enforcement. And after that, I went into security and business continuity positions. Eventually, it landed me here at SAC, where I'm responsible for our physical security, our business continuity, and our fleet operations. Excellent. Well, that's a lot of experience that you can offer our listeners. But during the pandemic, it seems like every company has experienced a lot of different challenges, but COVID-19 specifically has impacted some organization and industries a lot more than others. And it seems like those without really robust emergency plans, they were often left to figure things out on the fly, and that wasn't good. So I know that you guys have done really well adapting. So what are some of the things that allowed the company and you specifically to respond to the pandemic quickly and effectively? Well, the key is to consistently track things that could grow into a business hazard and to ensure that you have robust plans to deal with them if they come to pass. A lot of it is speculative. Uh, we keep America connected via the wireless network, so it's essential that we're able to keep our crews working. Uh, we like to use the, the statistic that 80% of 911 calls come through a cell phone, mm. and we're part of the teams that keep that running. Uh, that's why planning in advance is so important. Uh, one of our core values is 100% safe when you're in a company that builds cell towers that has to be fundamental and foundational for you. And upholding something like that relies on having the foresight to prevent an incident from happening instead of just being reactive to it. Uh, we started tracking COVID very early. Uh, we were discussing it amongst our crisis response team before there was any talk of lockdowns or travel restrictions from governments or health organizations. That let us create plans early to have our employees safe while we made sure we could keep the wireless network supported the way we have to. 
So it sounds like you just have to be two steps ahead or 10 steps ahead of everything out there just because of the essential nature of what you guys do. Yeah. I mean, if, if, you know, you're catching the ball, you're behind the ball. You have to always be looking for the ball is going. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, what advice can you share when it comes to identifying potential threats and then determining which ones should be taken seriously? Like you guys saw the pandemic coming and decided to do things before everyone else. What, what kind of advice can you offer for other folks out there? Uh, remain open-minded. Be imaginative about what you can uh, and can't see impacting your organization, your operations. That's the first step in tracking potential threats. You have to look at the usual topics like severe weather, worksite incidents, violence, but also consider the impact of pandemics, which are relatively rare, but as we've noticed, uh, have wide-ranging impact. Data loss, uh, other less predictable events to ensure that you have plans for a wide range of interruptions. You have to, you have to throw a very wide net. Mm. Well, I mean, with you guys, as you just mentioned, being responsible for such a huge part of the country's cellular network, like you said, you had to stay up and running. You can't not be available, especially when that many 911 calls go through the network. I didn't realize it was so high. Um, how have you been able to help keep your essential workers productive and really working effectively during the pandemic? Well, we realized early on and our planning reflected the fact that our field crews and our warehouse staff kind of represented the tip of the spear uh, in getting projects done for our customers. So we worked to remove them as much as possible from contacts that could lead to potential infections, uh, along with social distancing, facial covering policies, uh, disinfection routines. We took steps to keep anyone who could work remotely out of our facilities and that not only kept the people who were working remotely safe, but it increased the safety of the people who did have to go into the buildings. Uh, we talked about keeping those people in a bubble and keeping that bubble as small as possible. Mm. And that, that prevented them from getting infected. It, it was safe for them and it maintained productivity for us. Did the bubble extend into their like personal lives when they went home at night? You, you kind of said, hey, guys, don't do this kind of activity. Or was it more just when they're at work? We, we focused on the work thing. We get a little uncomfortable trying to tell people what to do in their off time. We yeah. certainly uh, have advisory things that we've put out in terms of how to keep yourself safe, but it's certainly nothing that we, we tracked or mandated for an employee in their off time. Yeah, I think legally speaking, there's not much you can do there, but that's, uh, that's an interesting topic for yeah. another podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thorny situation to dive into. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, generally speaking, across all industries and organization types, what do you think leaders should be prioritizing to ensure their businesses stay up and running? Uh, well, in almost any business, the, the three primary things you need to do to remain viable, to make it through any kind of an emergency, uh, number one, you have to be able to deliver the goods and services you provide. You know, whatever it is you do, you have to be able to get that to your customers. Uh, number two, you have to be able to invoice and process revenue for those goods and services. You have to be able to do the work, take the money in, and then you have to fund and distribute payroll. Those are the three essential things that have to happen in every organization in a very generic way. There's innumerable things that have to happen to support those activities. Uh, but those are the critical backbone of almost any organization. Uh, you find the things you need to do to complete those processes you create workarounds and redundancies for them to ensure you can operate if you encounter disruption. Yeah, it's been really interesting as people think through that traditionally, they're like, oh, we can just go to this backup facility somewhere if our primary facility is down. But now everyone's working remotely, scattered all around for a lot of these back office jobs. And they're relying on people's internet connections at their house, you know, all yeah. sorts of issues that pop up. Have, have you come across anything like that? You could offer some good tips there. 
some of the things that we did early on, uh, we've always had a policy that everyone who's issued a laptop has to bring it home. Mm. We have a VOIP phone network, and everyone has to have that default into their mobile number. So all of our, our company phones will answer regardless of whether or not somebody's in the office. And that was our policy long before the pandemic happened. Uh, it was honestly anticipated more in case there was a fire or a flood at one of our facilities and we had to get out. Uh, we wanted the customer and our vendors and everyone else to see us as completely open, even if we were remote. Yeah. And so those are some of the things we did. Uh, we didn't have a situation where people didn't have the tools they needed to work at home. Internet connections at home have been a challenge for everyone. Something you mentioned before that I want to touch on more is just in hosting this podcast in general, I found that most safety professionals actually encourage preparing for the worst case scenario. And in fact, a lot of them go as far as planning for the kind of N plus one factor, like one level worse than they think it'll actually be. So how do you guys effectively prepare for events that you can't really define in advance or see coming? I mean, the stuff that you really like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to (laughs) happen. Kind of like what happened in 2020. Um, The key to dealing with situations you can't predict, ironically, is they have a good set of plans for the things you can predict. Uh, It's impossible to foresee every potential business disruption. There are always things that will come at you from out of left field you won't have foreseen. Uh, but it's not impossible to have plans for a very wide variety of classes of disruptions, mm. uh, weather, data, civil unrest, things like that. Having a wide variety of plans means that when you do encounter something unexpected, you'll probably have a plan similar enough to quickly modify it to suit the current situation. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think just not just having a plan that's similar that you could fall back on uh, that can save you time and kind of point in the right direction, but just having gone through the exercise itself it, it takes you to that deer in the headlight stance that you're in if you didn't yeah. do any planning at all. So just the the act of going through exercises and plans can help you in the future. Yeah. One of the things we stress when we do, and we do pretty consistent uh, emergency response and continuity exercises. One of the things that we stress with those is that there's a cycle of business continuity. Your planning and your manual and your training uh, informs how you handle an incident, but then the incident informs your planning and training and manual. Yeah. And so you're constantly, it's never done. You're constantly learning. You're constantly tweaking it. And we also stress that our exercises are just that. They're exercises. They're not tests. When I was a police trainer, one of our, our funda- foundational ideas was that training is the place where you make all your mistakes. You get them out of the way. So when you have to do it for real, you do it right. And we encourage people to take risks and to try things that are out of the box. And we see if they would be a better, a better way to handle it when we do our exercises. Uh, the idea is that when somebody has to deal with an emergency, it's not the first time they've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a big difference. And I like the idea of the difference between exercise and test. It seems like simple words, but words have meaning. Test is like pass fail. Yeah. <laughs> People don't like taking tests. <laughs> yeah. And, and what you want really for like a crisis response team that we have here, what you want is for them to be proactive. You want them to be aggressively trying to manage the incident. You want them to try to get ahead of it. If you make them worried about how they're going to be perceived, if you make it a test, you're not going to get that in your exercises. Yeah. Well, one thing that happens when you do all this pre-planning and you try to be forward thinking um, is that you kind of run into this boy who cried wolf syndrome, right? So at some point, does management get tired of hearing about every threat and they say, all right, enough already? Like, how do you deal with that? They they certainly could. The key here is being careful about what you escalate to leadership. Uh, You know, my, my boss depends on me to have a plan for whatever we encounter. It doesn't necessarily... 
mean that he has to review everything that we're preparing or he needs to know even about what we're preparing for. He trusts me to have a plan for whatever we encounter. Uh, when a hazard seems to be moving toward impacting us, that's when I'll review it with leadership. I'll give them an honest assessment of what we think the odds are that it'll impact our business and let them know what our plan is. Sometimes just letting them know that, hey, this is a possibility, but we have a plan that'll that'll manage the risk in a, a pretty good way and we probably won't be severely impacted is all they need to hear. Um, if I judge and I time it correctly, I don't cry wolf very often. Mm. I think that's a very a military approach. If you talk to any of the armed forces, they've got plans for everything. I mean, like thousands, hundreds of thousands of plans, but the top generals only know a few. And then they reach down to their guys and say, hey, this is happening. Let me yeah. see your plans. The, the <laughs> bunker's on out. fire. Yeah, the bunker's on fire. What do we do when the bunker's on fire? Right. And, and, then, uh, and then typically a sergeant major will tell you what to do. I was, an, I was an NCO in the military. So. There you go. <laughs> I see where this is coming from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you do have to bubble something up, how do you get company leadership to buy in on implementing and practicing all these safety procedures when there's a chance that, I mean, essentially they might not be put to use. It, it seems like yeah. it's money invested in something that you may not have to use. Yeah. Like an insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I don't have to convince my leadership of the importance of business continuity planning here. At SAC, every single leader from our president and CEO, Kerry Shayak, right down to our newest tower climber, understands that safety is the core of our culture. 100% safe is literally one of our core values. You learn that the first day, it's repeated every day. Uh, my past experiences prove that the way to get buy-in for reluctant leaders is eventually to show them the money. Keeping people safe isn't just responsible leadership, it's good business. And showing the savings from reducing an injuries and avoiding disruptions tends to get the attention of almost any business person. So, so when you show them that it's prudent to have these plans, and in the long run, it'll either protect them from a loss or it'll save them money as we go, uh, that, that gets everybody's attention because it comes down to dollars. Yeah. I was on a, a webinar with um, Larry Delfiner recently. Um, he's been a VCM professional for years. And he said, you just have to convince him that spending $10,000 today will save you $20 million in the future. <laughs> yeah, like an insurance policy. I mean, yeah. we're insurance salesmen to a certain extent. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Well, I know you, you just mentioned you got a lot of people that are climbing towers out in the field. Um, a, a lot of people are out there in very remote and isolated environments. And yeah. a lot of our listeners have similar challenges. They've got field techs, social workers, uh, home healthcare professionals and the like. There's a lot of, of folks out there in this lone worker situation. Now, I guess this question, <laughs> as I think about it, might seem a little bit ironic because your field personnel are standing right next to cell towers, but how do you communicate with them and, and keep lone workers safe when they're far from, <laughs> from reach? <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up, Peter, because one of the things about building cell towers is you're going into places where there's no cell service by definition. True, true. So, so yeah, you're standing next to a cell tower, but sometimes you just took it down, uh -huh. uh, which is an issue. But yeah, we've always had a robust program for remaining in contact with our loan workers. We have to. And especially those in high-risk assignments. We have manager call-in policies. We've had satellite emergency notifiers. We've used a number of tools across the organization. Uh, we recently implemented the safe signal tool. And that's really simplified our employee tracking and emergency notification process. With safe signal, employees working alone or in high-risk assignments, they use a simple app. They check in at set intervals and a failure to check in prompts an immediate call to their manager. If their manager doesn't respond within a very short time, it causes EMS to be called to the location. And that was all customizable on our end. So we talked to our leadership and our safety and our field teams, and, and we found what would work for us and set those parameters up within the safe signal tool. 
Uh, it simplifies the process on our end for managing it, and it also speeds the process of getting help to a worker who needs it or who we can't contact. Yeah, no, it's an excellent offering from Alert Media, and um, it just it's that being able to send a signal that someone might need help, but back it up by an action plan like you just described. Yeah. And it's that professional action plan in the background that you can execute to get people help quickly. That's so key. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's nice knowing that the response is going to happen day or night. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what advice can you give for creating really a, a clear emergency response plan for loan workers? Cause you have so many out there. You have to really think about the work that they're doing and the risks that they'll face, what type of help they might need if those risks come to pass. If they're working with electricity, emergency is probably going to need a medical response. Mm. If they're working in an area with a risk of violence, it'll probably be a law enforcement response. And you have to tailor the response to the risk. Uh, another thing to consider is the interval for checking in. Uh, too often, it becomes a problem for the employee trying to get their work done. Too long, it defeats the purpose of checking in. So we found that a great way to get the proper balance is to speak with the actual workers themselves. Uh, have them help prioritize the check-in frequency and responses. They'll often have the very best idea of the risks they're facing and the help that they'll need if one of those risks arises. You have to, you have to put them in the mix and get their feedback. Yeah. And is it different for different workers, like depending on their experience or where they're working or do you, do you meet people where they are or do you try to kind of normalize one process across everyone? Well, we use safe signal across across the organization, but we'll change the parameters for, for various uh, situations. That's one nice thing about the tool. Um, there's all different kinds of risks. Some of them are sort of long-term. If you have somebody who's out in the wilderness, you just want to make sure they're staying safe. Yeah. If you have somebody who's going into a city to repair a cell tower that was damaged in a riot, uh, you want a more frequent check-in. And you're going to you're going to change not only the, the interval, uh, but the response to that check-in if it fails. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I want to close up here by just asking one more question. We really like to give our audience something they can take away with them and basically go back and immediately make an impact on their organizations. So just digging into all your years of experience in this area, what's something that you think the audience can take action on today to help them prepare for the unexpected? Well, there's an expression in the military, it's attack your weaknesses. Mm. And it's, it's really applicable here. If you're just starting to create your emergency plans, I'd suggest you talk to your leadership. Uh, if available, talk to your head of environmental health and safety. We have a tremendous director of safety, a fellow named Jeff Hamm. He has vast experience with these kind of incidents. Ask those folks what keeps them up at night and what gives them cold sweats. And that's a good starting point for what you need to plan for. No, that's fantastic. And just to follow up on that, how do you prioritize what you come back with? Well, there's always that balance between how likely something is to happen and the consequences if it does happen. An asteroid hitting is really, really unlikely, but if it does hit, it's going to be awful. Right. Uh, and you have to you have to kind of work that matrix to try to figure out the probability of something happening, but then the consequence if it does happen. Uh, we plan for some really, really unlikely things because they have really serious consequences if they were to occur. Yeah. We also plan for some things that don't have really serious consequences, but are more likely to occur. And you have to kind of, you have to kind of use both of those criteria to figure out what's most likely to affect your staff and then your organization. Oh, excellent advice. Well, Larry, this has been a great conversation. Love that you can share your expertise with our audience out there. If anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what is the best way for them to find you out there? Uh, the easiest would be via email at LarryPomakowski at SACW.com. That's L-A-R-R-Y dot P-O-M-Y-K. 
K-A-L-S-K-I at sacw.com. I'd be glad to help in any way I can. Uh, the more resilient all companies are, the more resilient our society is. And that's a win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell folks that it kind of, it does take a little bit of a village here. When emergencies happen, yeah. everyone's got to um, get together and try to get through them. Because like you said earlier, you just don't know what's coming and you can only, you can plan for something, but nothing ever goes hundred percent according to plan. I say that yeah. all the time. Yeah. Business continuity is a co-op, not a competition. Yeah, that's an excellent way of looking at it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for all of you out there, remember, nothing ever does go 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important to get your head wrapped around what you got to do next. So if you can't communicate, it's really hard to recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.